You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. This is why people want to hear about Disney and and fall in love with Disney. It it it's the real world is 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 too real. You you need to yeah. go to the the uh, fantasy world where everybody is treated like a, a a VIP and everything is taken care of and you feel safe and you feel loved and you know uh, there there's always uh, some new surprise, you know, so... And we're all just happy little princesses. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Welcome. What is this place? Never, never happened. We're going to bring ghosts from all over the world. Join us. The children are screaming. And we guarantee them creaky doors and creaky floors. Be sure to bring your death certificate. Take your pixie out of your pockets, Neverlanders. Sprinkle some of that pixie dust around. Think your happiest thought, and let's fly away to Neverland. It's bound to be a little bit spooky, though, this week. I'll tell you why here in just a little bit. I, of course, am the head lost boy around here, Jeremy, but you can call me Spider-Pan because that's what they call me amongst the lost boys. You can get a nickname as well at NeverlandPodcast.com if you decide you just want to join the Neverlanders. It's all in fun. I don't record any of your data. I just basically share what you share with me to everybody out there to let let everybody know that we have a new Neverlander, which you could be a lost boy or a pixie. We don't have lost girls around here because girls are too clever. They don't get lost. We have something special, though, this week, because we're going to, for the next couple of weeks, we're going to hear from Jim Corcus about some of the making of Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. This is a movie that it didn't really start out as the hit that it has become. It wasn't a huge success, but it has grown quite the following, and basically we're all fans of it. In fact, it took me a while, I know, though. Before I was a fan, I had to watch it a few times before it really became something I, I really enjoyed. Because when I first watched it, it's like watching a series of music videos. And you can tell that the script was written after the songs, the way it's presented. There were good songs, but it seemed like it was lacking story. And the character I thought I was supposed to be rooting for, really, uh, he's ruining my favorite holiday, Christmas. But when you start to kind of realize that Sally is the hero and you get behind Sally's story, that's what kind of got it for me. I'm like, ah, see, Sally is our hero. Uh, she's the one that's really going to save Christmas, and after Jack realizes what he's done, he goes and he does set it right, and he's still likable characters. But it's it's just a weird, quirky movie, The Nightmare Before Christmas, and for the next two weeks, we're going to talk with Jim Corcus about this movie. Uh, so strap in, carve your jack-o'-lantern, sit back, and enjoy my conversation with Jim Corcus. To Disney and beyond! Hey, Neverlanders! We're having another returning guest. This is going to be fun because it always is, and I always learn a whole lot. He's not quite a Disney legend, but maybe he should be. He knows pretty much everything anyway, right? <laughs> so we are brought on to us Disney historian, Disney author, Jim Corcus. Hello again. Hey, and, and thanks for that great in- introduction. But I, I will tell you that I know enough that I know how much I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and and again, one of the uh, exciting things and frustrating things at the same time about Disney history is there are new things that are being discovered every single day, you know. And and this is just about history. It's it's not about you know 
even Disney as it is today, because I tell people Disney today, uh, its middle name is Jello, because things are in, in constant uh, flux. Sometimes they'll announce oh, yeah. something and never follow through on that, or sometimes something will pop up a, a, as a surprise, or sometimes things will disappear without any notice whatsoever. Uh, so, uh, yeah, my gosh, the, there is, uh, the more I know, uh, I, I have come to realize there's so much more that I don't know. And, and the frustrating thing is, is that uh, I wish I had known some of these things when some of these people like uh, Ward Kimball and Mark Davis and all of that were alive, where I could have asked them some of these uh, mm-hmm. uh, questions. But at the time that I got a chance to interview them, I didn't know some of these things that, that uh, you know, they had done. And, and so other people didn't either. So we lost that uh, opportunity. So I'm, I'm glad for podcasts like yours where we can get this information uh, out there and, and share that with people because uh, uh, Disney is, is very bad at, at documenting things they, because they're – they're so involved in getting things done and then getting on to the next thing that it, that it never occurs to them that, you know, boy, we, we should uh, uh, write down what we were doing and why we made these decisions and who was involved and all of this because maybe somebody's going to be interested uh, yeah. uh, in that, you know. And, and even as those of us who visit Disney theme parks and all that, you know, we, we all just take it for granted, you know, that, oh, that's there, that, that'll be there, and the next time we're there, you know, where is that? Where where did, where did that go? You know, the the uh, Muppets in uh, Liberty Square in Magic Kingdom just ended October 5th, and nobody knew, you know? Wait, you, you were going to end that, end that show? Um, the uh, 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 Mickey's of Hollywood store in... Uh, uh, Disney's Hollywood studio just reopened after a rehab and all of the uh, Mickey figures that, that were in there uh, uh, for Steamboat Willie and for the band leader Mickey and for Sorcerer Mickey, all of those are gone now. So is so that, yeah. you know, people can just see more merchandise, but you know, yeah, I, I thought, Oh, recently, that'll always be there. <laughs> they've even recently changed the names of the foods in star Wars galaxy's edge yes. from having star Wars names to being now it's, it's just roast beef. You know, <laughs> what? Wait a minute. <laughs> this used to be a roast alien, you know? Yeah, that's it, you know? And, and mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, it, it, it's important to, to write these things down. It's important to, to, to save those, uh, uh, guide maps and, and yeah, you better save those guide maps because, uh, some of my sources are telling me that uh, uh, Disney's going to get rid of those, you know, because uh, of the cost of, uh, you know, printing and uh, updating and uh, all of that, that they'll just go where, again, you'll just have to have an app on your phone yeah. that'll have the map, you know. Oh, but it's such a great souvenir. I, 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 and I, I'm, I like having something physical in yeah. my hands. I like having a, a physical uh map even though they've reconfigured them now so that you know wait a minute is this the top or is this the bottom what what have they done here uh but you know it it all comes down to uh money yeah and and it all comes down to well the guests won't miss that yes they will 
I, yes, I, 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 I'm, I'm still missing the Golden Horseshoe Review show, you know? Yeah, I I, I, I still that. grumble about that, but, you know, yeah. and, um, but, you know, it, it, we talk about the parks, you know, it, uh, sometimes we forget the, the Disney is a film company and, and they've produced, you know, uh, some important, uh, uh, films and memorable films, you know, over mm-hmm. the year. And, and as we, uh, uh, you know, come to the Halloween season, you know, there are certain films that, that stick out, of course, like, uh, uh, Hocus Pocus, which, yes. which, which, which didn't really do well when it was, uh, first, uh, first released. And, uh, uh, and of course, today we're going to be talking about uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, and and you don't realize that films like that, Hocus Pocus and Nightmare Before Christmas, is very very courageous on the part of the Disney company. Yeah. And and why is it courageous? Because many countries around the world do not celebrate Halloween or do not celebrate it the way that we do in the United States. And uh, if today, as a film company, you have to be uh, pay attention to you know how is this going to to work in a in a market like uh, like uh, China or France or or yeah. wherever you know and uh, here here's all of these uh, uh, customs and traditions that uh, uh, we Americans just take for granted and. Uh, they're as strange to other countries as it would be if uh, uh, somebody said, oh, yeah, there's a great new film coming out, and it's going to be celebrating Guy Fawkes Day. <laughs> what? What the heck is that all about? Yeah. You know? And it's even a risk because of the what everybody expects from Disney uh, is, you know, when you look at, like, past films where they, you know, Return to Oz, which mm-hmm. was, you know, dark and weird, and then two films I, would, I was hoping Disney Plus was going to have, but I didn't see them on the list on the announcements this week. But uh, I would like to see The Watcher in the Woods and Something Wicked This Way Comes, mm-hmm. which were two risks to put the Disney label on, which is why with The Nightmare Before Christmas, like, let's put that out at Touchstone and let's just see what happens. And Although today, as long as that although today it is considered officially a Disney Pictures film. There are only yep. two Touchstone films that were then retrofitted to be part of the official Disney film legacy. And so What's Nightmare Before one? Christmas was one. The other, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Oh, So yeah. only two Touchstone films. And again, both of them were released under Touchstone because, as you were saying, this is uh, uh, subject matter or even just the attitude is something that we don't want, you know, really reflecting, you know, Disney. This is not part of the Disney brand. Yeah. But but again, they became so popular and so beloved that they are now officially considered Disney films, whereas another Touchstone film, Dick Tracy, is still a Touchstone <laughs> film. It's not considered an official <laughs> Disney film. Um uh, Somehow or another, I can still see Walt uh, up in whatever theater he was where he's famously after seeing, uh, what, Susan Kane, and he cussed and say, they wouldn't let me make that kind of film. No, well, <laughs> and, and again, he told his son-in-law, Ron Miller, uh, that, you know, Walt had a screening room at his uh, uh, house, at his home, 
Uh, and uh, one night uh, uh, he screened uh, for Ron and uh, uh, his wife, Diane Disney Miller, uh, 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 Mockingbird. Uh, you know, to kill a mockingbird film, and mm. and at the end of it, Ron told me that Walt looked at him and he said, "I wish we could make films like that." But he knew that at that particular time, uh, an audience had certain expectations of a Disney film and wouldn't accept that. Now, now I think the uh, expectations are a little broader, and and I think the the fact too that there is the uh, uh, Marvel film, uh, the Marvel mm-hmm. Cinema Universe, and the Star Wars Universe, and those are tied to Disney, but, you know, those really wouldn't be considered part of the Disney brand back in the 60s and all of that, yeah. you know, because there are certain uh, uh, attitudes, there's certain content that, that wouldn't be accept- acceptable. Today, it, it, it's a little broader, but, but still, the, the bottom line is, when you see the name Disney, you're expecting to see, you know, a, a family uh, uh, film. And so yeah. uh, that's one of the reasons why Nightmare Before Christmas was so odd. But we were talking about Ron Miller. Uh, it, it is thanks to, to Ron Miller that uh, we got films like that because uh, uh, over at the Uh-oh. Disney Studios, he, he said we've got to reinvent uh, Disney, and so he brought in uh, people like Tim Burton, you know, who thought differently. You know, Boy, does he ever think different? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, well, in in, in fact, uh, they brought him in, and and the first film they they put him on was uh, uh, Fox and Hound, and they teamed him with Glenn Keane, and and uh, Burton admits he says I just could not draw cute Disney foxes. Mine looked like Roadkill. <laughs> and, and so they, they ended up giving him sort of the distance shots, you know, uh, 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 of, of the characters. And then the cleanup artist would go in and, 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 and touch things up. And uh, then they assigned him to be uh, uh, concept art with Andreas Deja for uh, uh, The Black Cauldron. And you would think, oh, my gosh, this is going to be perfect. For Tim Burton, you know, the, this yeah. sort of dark film and, and all this. And so for a year, he literally sat in a room, you know, doing this. And the reason they teamed him with Andreas Deja was so that um, they were hoping that Deja could go and take what Burton was drawing and make it more into that Disney style, you know, uh, that that circular type style and, and, and all that so, so it could be usable. Uh, but Burton said, you know, my gosh, after a year of sitting in the room drawing whatever I wanted, all of this weird stuff, I realized they're not going to use any of it. And they didn't. <laughs> they they didn't even adapt any of that stuff. And so th- there's a great book that Disney Editions could be putting out, which is all of the unused concept art for Black Cauldron uh, <laughs> done by, by uh, uh, Tim Burton. But, but fortunately... Uh, there were people at the studio who, who saw, you know, this guy has a talent. We're just not tapping into it. And so uh, he was given a chance to make a little uh, uh, seven-minute uh, stop-motion short called um, Vincent, which is the story mm-hmm. of a, uh, a boy who wants to grow up to be Vincent Price. Uh, 
Yeah. And 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 Burton was in heaven because of the Disney name. They were actually able to get Vincent Price to come in and narrate it. Yeah. And uh, but again, it's out of the ordinary as as a as a, a a Disney short. It's very gothic. It's very very gloomy. Very emo. You know. And in fact, uh, uh, people at Disney came in and said, "Well, can we change the ending so that the uh, uh, we only see the mother? So at the end, could we have the father come in and and take his son out? You know, to a baseball game, and so." Suddenly he becomes brighter and happier, and, and Burton was just appalled <laughs> at, <laughs> at, 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 at that as uh, uh, as an option, and uh, so it wasn't it wasn't changed, and 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 it did well on the uh, uh, you know independent uh, film circuit and the uh, film festival circuit and and all of that, but but again Disney you know just didn't know what to, what to do with it, but. Um, or with the, with the later live action film he did Frankenweenie, you know. Yeah. But uh, at the time he was working on Vincent, he also wrote because um, Vincent uh, is done um, as a as a rhyming uh, uh, poem, you know, uh, sort of like a uh, he, he was trying to do a, a a thing of Edgar Allan Poe meets Doctor Seuss type thing. Yeah. And so at the same time, he wrote another um, uh, poem, a three-page poem, uh, uh, and it featured Jack Skellington, and it featured his uh, dog, you know, his ghost dog Zero that has that little glowing orange jack-o'-lantern as a nose, which I I don't think many people uh, uh, immediately recognize, but once somebody tells you that, you take a look and you go, Oh my gosh! Look at that nose there, and mm-hmm. Santa Claus. So it's only three characters, and uh, you know it's a takeoff on uh, uh, the night before Christmas because uh, Burton, of course, grew up in uh, Burbank, California. I grew up in Glendale, which was uh, adjacent to Burbank, so I know what he was talking about. Is um, uh, you know in in Southern California, there you really only have uh, uh, two seasons, you know, brown and browner. That's about <laughs> it, you know, and and so uh, uh, for Tim Burton, the way he recognized when there was a new season is the decorations, you know, yeah. that appear in the stores. You know, you, you've got the Halloween decorations and uh, all of that, and and especially since you're in the uh, Burbank area, which is near, you know, uh, TV studios and film studios and all that, you have these people who are doing up, you know, these elaborate displays, you know, and elaborate uh, haunted houses, you know, for kids to go through and and uh, all of that. I participated in, in uh, you know, a, a couple of them. They're, they're just, you know, holy cow. Uh, it, it, they're hard to describe. And, uh, but what Burton also saw was that the top selling season, of course, is Christmas. That's when mm-hmm. most retailers, uh, you know, uh, make their money. That that's when most books are are, are sold. You know, it, it's because people are either buying books for themselves as a gift, or they're buying them to give uh, as a gift. So I'm I'm going to remind your your listeners. You know, we're coming into the holiday season here now. Go to Amazon.com and and look for Jim Corcus, and I've got a brand new book 
uh, uh, coming out uh, next week, Vault of Walt, Volume 8, which is all about outer space stories, all the, the nice. outer space stories uh, that were in, in TV shows like the Ward Kimball things and, and, and films like uh, Black Hole and Treasure Planet and comic books and all of that type of stuff. And so make my Christmas very merry and do that. So anyway, Burton <laughs> is seeing that the Christmas season is, is where people are making their money. And so they keep extending, you know, the, the, the Christmas uh, 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 season, you know. And so yeah. suddenly it, 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 it's encroaching on uh, Halloween. You know, you're, you're skipping Thanksgiving entirely and going right from <laughs> Halloween to Christmas. And uh, yep. so in Burton's mind, Halloween and Christmas just seem to be in, in the same, you know, witch's cauldron, you know, steaming uh, uh, there together. And then also at Christmas, uh, Burton was of that age, you know, he, he was born in uh, 58. So, uh, you know, he was just a young kid when a lot of the um, uh, Christmas specials popped up on TV, like how the Grinch stole Christmas, and and especially all those Rankin Bass um, stop motion half hour specials like um, mm-hmm. Rudolph and uh, uh, all of that, you know, the Heat Miser and Cold Miser and all all of that. So uh, that's all just stirring in his head when he comes up with this, and so you know he he takes it to Disney, and Disney basically says. What are we going to do with this? <laughs> you know, uh, and 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 so uh, uh, Burton um, uh, teamed up with uh, a, a couple of friends, uh, Henry Selleck, who you know later uh, directed Nightmare Before Christmas, and uh, Rick uh, Heinrichs, who uh, did an awful lot of the uh, uh, design work and, and design work for a lot of his later uh, uh, live action films, and and they went to different networks to try and pitch it as a half-hour Christmas special or Halloween special. You know, Hmm. either one, whatever one you want to buy, this is it, you know. And uh, they got, you know, no interest. Um, uh, You know, they even tried to pitch it as a feature film that would have been hand-drawn animated, you know. Hmm. And... uh, but again, you know, it, it, uh, uh, Burton says everybody kept looking at me like that uh, 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 odd uh, relative that they let out of the attic, you know, for the holidays, <laughs> and then push them back in and don't don't want to talk about it for the rest of the yeah. year. And uh, around this this same time, so we're, we're talking about eighty four right now, uh, nineteen eighty four. Uh, Michael Eisner comes in. And so when he comes in, and especially with Katzenberg, it's their cleaning house. You know, Ron Miller had kept some of these people on, you know, uh, in, in the hopes that they would, you know, produce something uh, 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 different. You know, and, and one of the people Ron Miller brought on was uh, uh, Brad Bird, you know, who later went on to mm. do The Incredibles and, and yeah. Family Dog and... And, and so many of these other things, but he was let go too. You know, basically Eisner and all, you know, just cleaned house. And uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but Eisner was going to just eliminate the entire animation department. 
Because yeah. he says, you know, we've got enough animated films, we can just keep re-releasing them, you know? And, it, and it's too expensive, it's too time-consuming to do these. But the person who helped put the, uh, Eisner in place was Roy E. Disney. Of and, course. And, and Eisner, you know, basically went to him and he said, okay, you know, it, it's time for payback now. What, what do you want, you know, in exchange for, you know, making sure I got, I got this job? And Roy E. Disney said, give me the animation department. And Eisner was ecstatic because if he gave uh, Disney the animation department and it fell apart, as everybody was predicting it would be, it would be at the hands of a Disney. And Eisner's yeah. <laughs> hands would be clean. And yeah. um, uh, unfortunately, this happened after Burton had been, been uh, uh, let go because uh, uh, Roy, Roy E., w was like Ron, you know, let, let's bring in these, you know, uh, outcasts, you know, because they're the ones who can give us something, you know, new. And, and, and yeah. Roy supported an awful lot of, uh, you know, uh, uh, out there projects. And, uh, you know, that's the reason Destino, uh, uh, the Salvador Dolly project finally got done. That was from, uh, Roy Disney. The, the, the fact that, uh, Leslie Iwerks was able to do a book and a uh, documentary on uh, her uh, grandfather uh, of Iwerks was because Roy said, open up the archives so she can have whatever she wants, you know, to do that. But uh, poor old uh, uh, Tim Burton is, is out in the California cold at this particular point, and um Paul Rubens. Well, thank goodness for Warner Brothers, I guess. <laughs> well, Paul, Paul, uh, Paul Rubens uh, wanted to do a film, a feature film, mm -hmm. about his character, uh, Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And he, and he was looking around, and he, was, and he wanted to find, you know, just the right director who had that same sort of slanted sensibility and all of that. And Shelley Duvall, who is an actress who had been in uh, Burton's Frankenweenie. Oh, yeah, she was. Told, told, this is how things work in Hollywood. Is yeah. it, it's all these connections and schmoozing at parties and all that. She told Ruben, you should take a look at Frankenweenie. I think this yeah. guy is, is what you're looking for. And Ruben's looked at it. And to seal the deal, Stephen King had seen Frankenweenie and, and loved it. Oh, cool! And and had also mentioned, uh, you know, Burton to um, uh, to Rubens, and so uh, you know, Burton had never directed, you know, a a, 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 um, a, a feature film for crying out loud. He he had done a a, a short, and in fact, he had done a. A, a short at um, uh, a live action short at Disney on Hansel and Gretel that was so bad. How bad was it, Jim? It was so bad it was only shown once on Halloween <laughs> night on the Disney Channel and never ever shown again. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, buried uh, underneath uh, the archives right now. A couple right of now. years ago, uh, <laughs> a a, a, a version w was slapped together and and run at a couple of uh, Tim Burton uh, film retrospectives, 
but yeah, it is so bad. And and <laughs> and and I've watched it, and 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 you know, you can see the design work is this is obviously you know Tim Burton, and but but it is just so slow, and and he really doesn't get anything out of his his actors. Frankenweenie, I love. Frankenweenie, yeah. I love. But but if if Rubens had seen uh, Hansel and Gretel, you know, well, too bad for that. But but anyway, yeah. so Burton was brought in, and he did, you know, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, 1985. Remember, 84, he's let go, 1985. Pee-wee's Big Adventure, huge, huge yeah. hit. And he follows that with Beetlejuice in 88. And mm-hmm. Batman, Tim Burton's Batman in 89. And Edward Scissorshand in 1990. This is four hits in a row for crying out loud. And and in the case of of uh, uh, Batman, you know, it just uh, spawns that whole merchandising franchise yeah. and, and all of this. And so Jeffrey Katzenberg is over at with Disney just licking his lips. You know, yeah. This is what we want. You know, Katzenberg was hoping that Dick Tracy was going to take off like Batman. You know, because you you have those grotesque villains. You know, yeah. you have that stalwart hero. That you know, this comes from a long-running uh, comic. You know, but what Katzenberg didn't take into account was nobody knew Dick Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nobody was well, reading. I did. Dick I always Tr- read the Sunday Funnies. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Dick Tracy was still appearing in the Sunday Funnies, but you know, yeah. nobody was paying attention. And so, you know, Burton now is successful. And again, you know, as you were saying, these are all Warner Brothers films, and Burton wants to break away from Warner Brothers because it's not good to have keep all of your eggs in the same basket, right? Yeah. You wanted you wanted uh work for, you know, other studios, you know, so a safety net, you know, because what if Warner Brothers goes belly up, you know, a lot of studios were on the verge, you know, of of that happening. Some of them already had. All it took was just one bad film and and the whole studio w- w- was out of business because they're doing all these blockbusters. Um and so Burton decided he wanted to do something personal. So uh, what he did was um, uh, he had his uh, 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 lawyer, uh, more or less, uh, talk to uh, uh, Disney. Actually, it wasn't his lawyer. It was his agent. Uh, talk to mm. Disney and, and go, you know, uh Gee, is it is it possible I might be able to to buy back you know that three page poem you know I I did and and there were some sketches and and uh, Rick Heinrichs had had actually made up a um, a model of the character to use you know in those pitch meetings that that they were doing and um, you know and and you know some studios will sell back things because that'll you know, recoup the uh, amount of investment they, they put in that. But a, as soon as, uh, you know, Burton asked, you know, all the sirens go off, you know. Tim Burton is interested in this, you know. what? Is, you know, go down to the morgue, find what, what's down there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, what is it we, we, we've got, you know. The, you know, we found gold. <laughs> and so <laughs> uh, uh, Katzenberg, 
also wanted to corner the market in animation. You know, he yeah. didn't want anybody else to have um, uh, a successful animated film, you know, and uh, <clears throat> what had well, happened Don Bluth, is... Don I'm sure, was making him nervous. Yeah, well, well, what had happened is, you know, American Tale had come out and had done well. Yes. And it's like, no, no, the, the only Disney features that should be out there should be coming, you know, from Disney. And so Katzenberg thought, let's see if we can work out an arrangement with, with uh, Burton. We won't sell him back the thing, but maybe he'll do it for us, you know. And, and in fact, that's, that's how Disney operates all the time. It, you know, they went to uh, um, uh, uh, George Lucas and said, gee, you know, why, why don't you do a theme park attraction? And if you're happy with that, why don't you do a couple of films for us? You know, and the same thing with James Cameron and, and Avatar. And, uh, you know, as long as we're talking Halloween, it was the same thing with Mel Brooks. You know, the, the first uh, choice for Disney uh, Hollywood Studios was not Tower of Terror. Right. Uh, Eisner had gone to Mel Brooks and said, would you like to do, you know, uh, an attraction, you know, for us? You, you know, you, uh, we want to do a scary attraction, and, and you did Young Frankenstein. And so Mel Brooks got involved, and he was going to do Castle Young Frankenstein at uh, the Disney Hollywood Studios. And then that uh, developed into Di uh, Mel Brooks' Hollywood Horror Hotel, where you would be in these uh, uh, golf carts, which, again, are, are used in the back lots of studios. And yeah. there'd be that magnetic strip, you know, on the ground, and you'd be going through, you know, uh, this hotel so you'd, uh, be, where Mel Brooks is filming a horror film. And, and so you go through the kitchen and there's uh, uh, witches, you know, uh, in a cauldron and there are things coming out of the cauldron. And uh, you, you meet uh, Quasimodo because he's the bell boy of, <laughs> of, of the hotel. And, and you even go into the men's bathroom where, where you see um, Dracula trying to shave in a mirror, but you can't see his reflection. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, Wolfman is, is combing all the hair on his entire body. And uh, there's Frankenstein in, in a bathroom stall, and he's reaching underneath the stall because in the stall next to him is the mummy, and Frankenstein has run out of toilet paper. <laughs> and, and, and so one of the reasons uh, 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 Eisner had approached Brooks to do this is because uh, he felt, okay, if we get him involved with this, then he'll be doing films for us. Yeah. So, so, so that was the Disney way. So uh, Katzenberg's way was, okay, let's get Burton, because, my gosh, he just had four hits in a row, for crying yeah. out loud, you know? Who has that, you know? And uh, it, even if this is the worst film in the world, you know, it'll be a Tim Burton film. They'll we'll make enough money the first weekend. It'll cover everything. You know, and and in fact, Katzenberg insisted that the title, the official title, is Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. <laughs> right. And and that is extremely uh, odd to have uh, you know the filmmaker's name as part of the title. You know, I, 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 I don't know if any of your listeners can even pull up, you know, uh, uh, half a dozen that uh, over decades that have been uh, done that way. 
Now, Burton goes, okay, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll do this, but, but it has to be done my way. And, you know, Katzenberg at that particular time is, we don't care. We're already going to be successful, you know, because it's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before yeah. Christmas. That's already the audience. Because Burton at that time was already committed to making the uh, sequel to Batman, Batman Returns. Yeah. So, so he's already in, in, in pre-production for that. And, um, you know, he also feels that, you know, Disney just doesn't have the talent pool that can make this. So, so they, he sets up a uh, studio in uh, uh, San Francisco, which is where Henry Selleck lived and, and, and did some work. But they also set it up in San Francisco, so it's far enough away from the Disney studios that the Disney executives are not there every day looking over people's shoulders and going, well, maybe the character should be smiling more. Maybe, you know. It's far enough away that, that he's got some uh, isolation, and he wants to make it in um, stop-motion puppet animation, mm -hmm. you know, rather than as an animated, uh, uh, hand-drawn animated film. And one of the reasons for that is because of his affection for those Rankin-Bass um, uh, holiday specials, and also the fact that he feels that a... Uh, uh, a three-dimensional figure just seems more real. Yeah. Than, than, than you know, uh, and, and, and that when you have somebody in there, you know, with their own hands, you know, moving this and all this, it, it, it gives it a, a, a greater sense uh, of life because he, he grew up, you know, with the, the uh, uh, King Kong and the Ray Harryhausen films and all that. And one of the great things about King Kong is... Uh, one of the things that makes King Kong look so alive is that his his uh, uh, fur uh, rustles, uh, you know, mm -hmm. randomly. And the reason for that is when the animator went in with his um, uh, fingers, you know, to adjust Kong, they were depressing the rabbit fur. So, yeah. so you're taking a shot, so there's that, but on the next shot, it's back out. And so these things are moving like a real animal, but there was a complete accident yeah. <laughs> of that happening. But, but anyway, he, he wants to do this in, in um, uh, uh, you know, as three-dimensional animation here. And, um, uh, of course, Disney goes, yeah, you know, go do this. Whatever you want, you know, we'll, ha we'll have a Tim Burton film, you know, and, and this will also make Disney seem cool. You know, um, now the problem is, is there's that three page poem that has just right. three characters in it. Yeah. There is no script. <laughs> there is no script and filming has to get started. Uh, so, uh, uh, Burton has worked with, um, uh, Danny Elfman, magnificent oh, yes. composer. And, and a lot of people don't realize that Elfman is, is, is composed the, uh, uh, the theme song for The Simpsons. That's Danny yep. Elfman. But, but he, he's, he's done so much, and, and of course he had done the music for um, uh, 
all of Burton's Pee-wee's films. Pee-wee's Big Adventures and Beetlejuice and Batman. Yeah, and... Th- that's it. Uh, Edward Not to mention, you know, Weird the, Science. The we can bit, credit you know? him with that. And, and so, so um, he gets together with, with Danny Elfman, and what they do is they write the songs first. Yep. They sit down, and Burton is, 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 is explaining the scenes and what goes on, and then Elfman says, get out of my house. And he sits down and writes a song and then pulls Burton back and listen to this, you know, and, and Elfman would then uh, play it for his six year old uh, uh, daughter, Molly, before he even showed it to anybody. And if, if Molly could then, you know, hum back the melody, he knew he had something. And, and Elfman uh, said, you know, he told Disney, this is not going to be like, you know, Beauty and the Beast and all that, where you, where you have that, you know, breakout song that's going to be on the pop charts and, and, and things like, like that. These songs are used to, you know, uh, reveal um, uh, the character or forward along uh, the, uh, the, the uh, uh, plot. And, and in fact... Uh, he's uh, uh, using um, as his guide uh, Gilbert and Sullivan and uh, Kurt Weill, who uh, huh. did uh, Three Penny Opera. And oh so uh, not Broadway musicals or anything like this. And so he's putting together, um, you know, the songs, you know, before the the whole... The story script actually gets uh, written, and in fact, the very first thing that was um, animated is uh, the song "What's This?" You mm-hmm. know, because they it, it, the animators can't wait, you know, for the full script. You know, uh, they, they've got to start animating because yeah. you can only get sometimes one minute of animation a week. Yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, you, you've got this figure, and then you move it, and then you take this picture, and then you move it a little bit, and you take it, and you move it again, and take it a little, and move it. And sometimes there's dozens of characters in the scene yeah. that, that have to be moved. And also they have what is called um, uh, face replacement. Yeah. So, uh, it, it, like, Jack Skellington had almost 100 different uh, faces. So... You, you see the start of the smile, and then the smile gets a little bigger and a little bigger, and there's the smile, and then it's got to go back, you know, and, and so you're doing all of that. And so they build these massive sets, and they're up on a platform because sometimes the puppeteers had to crawl underneath the set and then just pop up, you know, in the scene to, to move that figure and then pop back down and... Um, uh, they had people behind the sets doing this and all this. And, and the sets, they've covered with um, clay and then carved into them. So not only do they look three-dimensional, you get that sort of cross-hatching that, uh, effect mm-hmm. that you usually get, you know, in a, uh, uh, a, a Tim Burton uh, uh, drawing. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. 
And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander. Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash Neverland Podcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. Copyright content featured on the Neverland Podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.